0: Today on The Journey with Steve DeWitt, a look at the promises of Christ from John chapter 14.
1: The first assurance is the presence of God in our life. He is always with us. His eye is always upon us. You might be here today and you're thinking, I feel alone in this world. I feel abandoned in this world. If you're a follower of Jesus, hear the words here that Jesus says. He's never leaving you. He is with you today. His eye is upon you. His love is with you.
0: Many people sense a hollowness in their hearts, a void that can only be filled by the Creator who made us. Today on The Journey, Pastor Steve DeWitt comforts us with another lesson from The Upper Room, where Jesus promises to fill this emptiness within our souls. It's a message about how the Trinity is the perfect fix to our fears. That's the title of today's message. And if you missed part one, you can replay it online at thejourney.fm. Here's Pastor Steve to get us started.
1: What Jesus is going to teach us today in John 14 is what a human being needs. And maybe if I could say it today, what you need. Maybe you come here today and there is a a void in your heart. You feel hollow. There is something missing. And what I'm going to say from God's word is what your heart is longing for is what it was made for. And it is only satisfied by the God, the creator who made you. And so that's where we're going today, and uh, we are in the upper room, our series in the upper room in John 14. Here, Jesus promises to fill the glove of our soul, and these 11 disciples in the upper room, as we've seen, are in great turmoil, Okay. They are they they've invested all this time with Jesus. They've personally witnessed the miracles. They've heard his teaching. Uh they have sensed in their own soul that this uh person is more than simply another human being as as uh as Peter said thou art the Christ the son of God. And now Jesus says to them, I am going to leave you. And they don't understand this. They're bewildered by this. Judas Iscariot has already left their group. They're down to 11. And the whole experience has them very unsettled. And so Jesus is going to assure them, really reassure them. uh, And he does so by connecting the presence of the triune God with them. So with that said, here in chapter 14, we begin in verse 18. Here is what Jesus says. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. May God bless his word to us here today. Now keep in mind with all of this that Jesus is building on what he said at the beginning of chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. And what I want you to see today is that what what Jesus promises to his disciples perfectly aligns with the longings of our hearts. Okay, so notice how these all correspond with the fears that we have. How about the fear of being alone or being abandoned? What does Jesus say to that? Verse 18, I will not leave you as, see the word, orphans. I will come to you. The reason that Jesus says this is that no doubt the disciples are kind of feeling like, hey, Jesus is bailing on us here. How can you do that? You called us to be your disciples. We've walked along with you all this time. We've seen the miracles. We've heard the teaching. We, we, we believe that you are the Messiah. And if you're the Messiah, don't bail. Let's go conquer Rome. I mean, let's get to that stuff. And did you see the crowds when you came into Jerusalem on the donkey a few days ago? Like, you're at the height of your popularity. Let's go do this. This is not the time to quit. And to that, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. The one person, more than any that they didn't, wouldn't want to lose, now says, you're not going to see me anymore. I'm leaving. They have no idea what is going to happen. They assume this is the end. We're never going to see him again. He is leaving us. But Jesus adds here that I will come to you. What do people that fear being abandoned need? We need reassurance that God Is with us. So that's the first. Alone, abandoned. No, in Christ we are never abandoned. How about this? How about the fear of death? This probably is our our biggest fear. What does Jesus say about this? Look at verse 19. Because I live, you also will live. God is unkillable. So how does his indestructible life mean that I myself? will live or as he says to his disciples that you will live well this is verse 20 in that day you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you what jesus is talking about here are indissolvable unities and the first indissolvable unity is between jesus and the father god the son and god the father he says i am in the father and the father is in me One translator describes it as locked in, okay? He, he translates it locked in. The Father is locked into Jesus, and in Jesus locked into the Son. And then he says that we are in Jesus, and you, he is in us, okay? So there is this unbreakable unity between the Father and the Son, and because they are life and we are in him, We will live because we are locked in with them. Next, he turns to moral despair. Look at verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Jesus repeats this basic statement three times in this section. He says in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Which brings up the question chicken and the egg, which came first or which comes first? Do I love Jesus and then he, or do I obey Jesus and then he loves me? Or do I, do, do, do I love Jesus and then I obey him? Did I say that right? That didn't come out exactly right. I'm not sure. Can I try that again? Okay, thank you. You're in the second row. Uh, which comes first? Do I obey Jesus and then he loves me? Or does he love me and then I obey him? Which is it? And you might think, what's the big deal? Today, there are billions of people following religions of the world who basically say, if we obey God, he will love us. Okay, so this is some theoretical cra- you know, crazy thing. This is reality for billions of people. And there are even versions of Christianity that somewhat do the same thing wherein, for example, in legalism, where there is a kind of performance-based approach to my relationship with God, that if I obey him enough, well, then he'll have favor upon me. And if you've ever been a part of that kind of Christianity, it's exhausting and it's depressing because all the time you're like, I don't know if I've done enough for him to love me. Or maybe you're in a relationship that is something like that where it is transactional and it's performance based and that person will love you if you do everything the way that they want them, you to do uh, they want you to do it okay how's that going probably not well okay probably not good at all what we see in salvation is this to be clear that loving Christ is the cause and obeying Christ is the effect okay we love god And we obey his commands. We do not obey his commands in order for God to love us. This is obedience. And what I want you to hear is that what Jesus is offering here is the best possible life for a human being. His commands to us are life. What did Jesus say? I have come to give you life and life more abundantly following Christ and obeying his commands is the best possible life that we can have. It is sin that takes our life in directions of destruction. Young people hear me on this, okay? Because oftentimes young people uh, get this idea in their mind that, you know, my my parents' faith and the Bible and Christianity, it's just bondage. I want to be free from this. And Off they go to freedom, and what do they do? They make a mess of their life. How many generations of young people have to do that before some generation goes, you know, that doesn't work well. We need to be convinced that what Christ tells us is truth and wisdom, that this is the best life that we can have, is obeying Christ and following his commands. It's, a, it's an old illustration, but it's, it's a good one. When is a, when is a train most free? Okay? You can imagine a train going down the rails going, these rails. I'm so tired of these rails. I wish I could go off the rails. They look in the ditch, you know, as it's, as it's going down the, the track. But, oh, only I could go over there in the ditch. That would be awesome. And of course, when a train goes off the rails, we call that a train wreck right? That is destruction. And there's the train off, you know, in the ditch going, I wish I was back on the rails again. That was way better on the rails. And we need to be convinced that sin is destruction, that we don't, uh, that, that we don't break the Ten Commandments. They break us, and to realize that when Jesus offers life to us in obedience, that this is, this is the path to, to joy. This is the path to meaning. This is what we were made for, is the commands of, of the Lord. So as we obey Jesus, we get our moral life back. By loving Christ, we lose our shame. We lose our guilt. We get our moral compass back. We get our conscience back. We get our, ethnical, our ethical dignity back. Sin doesn't fill the glove, but obedience does. That's what we're made for, morally and ethically. How about this one? The human fear of never being loved. Never being loved. Jesus says this, And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Other than death, I would dare say, our greatest fear is in our life, the loss or the absence of love. The thought that maybe I am unlovable is a desperate thought. Isn't this what makes the holidays so hard? We're supposed to gather with our loved ones. What do you do if you don't have any loved ones? Or if nobody loves you? Or if your supposed loved ones, it it turns out, aren't quite so loving. How did Thanksgiving go for you? Probably not awesome, like the rest of us. Not perfect. And Jesus addresses this human fear by assuring us that those who love Jesus Jesus will love, and God the Father also will love. And what an assurance this is for us. You know, Paul picks up this theme so beautifully in, uh, in Romans 8. And you get to the end of, of, of Romans 8, and he goes to great lengths to describe the kinds of things that typically separate us from love. You know, uh, sword, persecution, even death. And what is Paul's conclusion at the end of Romans 8? There is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is meant to reassure us, those of us who live in a broken world with failing love and disappointing love all around us, that there is one love that will not disappoint us and will never leave us or abandon us. It is the love of God. I think, you know, I've learned so much about love by being a dad. And I, I tell my daughters all the time, I love you, I love you. They're up in the balcony. Don't I tell you that? <laughs> say yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, there they are. And sometimes I will say to them, you don't realize how much I love you. Now, when you're a kid, you hear that, and you're like, blah, blah, But then you become a parent, and you're like, they cannot conceive in that little skull of theirs how much I love I love them more than they can begin to comprehend how much I love them. And only when they're a parent will they know how much the love that I have for them right now. And that is human love. Along comes God and he says and promises, I will love you forever. I love you more than you can begin to comprehend. And so here we are now living our life in this world with all kinds of you know, drama and all of this. And, and God comes along and says, listen, I know your life's all like, you know, dirty and worn out and, and all that. nobody buy you if you were for sale in the hardware store. But I love you anyway. And I always will. In fact, I love you more than you could begin to conceive. And we're like, we're, you know, we're this messed up, moral people and got all kinds of problems, all that. We can't believe that a perfect God would love somebody like us, but that is the marvel of the gospel, okay? That's the marvel. And so I hope that's reassuring to you today. Finally, is just inner emptiness. Okay? Inner emptiness. If you listen to people, you know, if you you were in counseling or if you you ever have friends that really open up to you, especially uh, maybe prior to meeting Christ, they will often say things, describe their life with words like, I feel empty. Something's missing in my life. And Even great accomplishments and achievements that we hope will be the thing that suddenly we feel like we're actually significant and something matters in my life, ultimately end up being disappointing to us. I remember they asked Tom Brady after one of his Super Bowl wins, what's it like to win the ultimate? And he replied, well, there's got to be more to it than this. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And you know what Tom Brady was espousing there? Good Solomon wisdom in Ecclesiastes where he accomplished everything, had everything beyond anything anybody else could ever imagine having. And what is his summary of the experience of hedonic pleasure? He says, apart from God, this is all meaningless. Contrast that with what Jesus says in verse 23. If anyone loves me he will keep my word and my father will love him now get this and we will come to him and make our home with him we will make our home with him get it the triune god promises okay promises to make his dwelling with us god apartments in us he comes and he dwells with us. And there inside of us, he is renewing us. He's remodeling. He is restoring and upgrading. And he fills the emptiness of our heart. He makes his home in us. You know, God's a homemaker. He's a homemaker. And it's an, it's an amazing thought. You know, I know something... Uh, a little bit about what it means to have a homemaker show up in your life. You know my story. I got married when I was 44 years old and uh, I had a house when we got married and it was a nice house and it was a nicely decorated house. At least I thought it was a nicely decorated house, you know, for a bachelor pastor type. But then I got married and I had no idea how much of my house needed to change until the homemaker showed up. I had this really cool painting of tigers over my bed. Gone. I had furniture that had served me just fine for 20 years. Gone. I had various other decorative indications of my bachelor years. Gone. And they were all replaced with new things. New paint, new decor, new little this and that. So I was watching Hobby Lobby stock skyrocket. <laughs> was this easy for me? No, it was not. I, I really liked that tiger painting, actually. <laughs> Here's the point. When a homemaker makes your house, her home, things change. And for the record, they change for the better. I just want to be clear about that. And all of these promises that Jesus is making to us are intended to encourage us, that he will always be with us, indeed dwelling with us, living with us, and working to change us and renew us and conform us to his will And for human beings who naturally are filled with despair, this is really good news, that God is with us and will be with us forever. No more loneliness. No more lovelessness. No more emptiness. Blaise Pascal, the uh, French mathematician, theologian, famously wrote this. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim But that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself." And friend, I want you to realize you have a soul. You were made for something. You were engineered by God for something. And the question today, is that soul filled or is it empty? Is it filled with the presence and the love of God by faith in Jesus Christ or not? And if you're a Christian here today, I I hope this encourages you with the reality of what God is, that he is in you and what he is doing in your life. Your heart is his home and he's making changes this is a good thing and if you're not a true believer today and you kind of walked into church today in fact why are you here if you're not sort of sensing something's missing in your life you're looking for something greater than yourself you sense you're designed and made for something more than your present life I wonder if maybe the words of Jesus to his disciples might resonate with you and where you might say you know what those are exactly the things that my heart tells me I'm missing And maybe today you would put your personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ who loved you and gave his life on the cross for you, was resurrected on the third day to conquer death and to promise that because he lives, you will live as well.
0: You're listening to The Journey with Pastor Steve DeWitt in the conclusion of a message titled, Trinity, the Perfect Fix for Our Fears. If you missed part one or you'd like to hear today's lesson again, You'll find them when you visit us online at thejourney.fm or subscribe to our podcast. Well, I want to take a minute to thank our listeners and our faithful monthly supporters who give generously to help keep the journey on the air. Because of friends like you, we're able to share God's Word with listeners around the country through the radio and the Internet, helping people meet God wherever they're at in their own life's journey. And when you give a generous gift today, whether it's one time or monthly, you'll help ensure that the clear biblical teaching on the journey continues to reach listeners throughout 2024. So would you give today? Just call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or make a donation online at thejourney.fm. And to express our gratitude for your gift today, we'll say thanks by sending you The Upper Room. It's a book by John MacArthur. The events and teaching recorded in John 13 through 16, commonly known as the Upper Room Discourse, Reveal some of the most poignant and powerful promises for believers in all of Scripture. Jesus was on the eve of his crucifixion, and any other man in that situation would have been in such a state of uncontrollable agitation that he would never been able to focus his attention on the needs of others. But Jesus was different. He wanted his followers to know the peace of the one who has overcome the world. And The Upper Room is a book that offers insight into Christ's parting promises for troubled hearts. It's sure to be an encouragement to you and those you share it with. Request your copy today. Call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit thejourney.fm. Well, I'm Tim Svoboda. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Steve begins a new message titled, Peace I Give. That's Tuesday on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.